You're listening to the Go For Growth Podcast with Doug Hall. Hi, everybody. This is Doug Hall, host of Go For Growth with Doug Hall. And uh, we have a great podcast guest today. BJ Foster is the chief executive officer of PRR here in Seattle. And she's been there for a couple of years now, two and a half years, making her imprint on this company. And it's our uh, honor today to hear from her to learn some lessons of how she's grown that firm, what she's done before, uh, some advice for you as you guys uh, grow your firm. So uh, help me in in welcoming BJ Foster today. BJ, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Doug. The whole theme of the podcast is growth and going for growth. So give us a little idea of some growth experiences in your career, what you've seen lately maybe in, in PRR and some of the more you know, profound lessons uh, that, 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 have, that have made a difference to you? Sure. I think the biggest thing that I've learned in my career is, because uh, I've done startups, I've done uh, mid-sized companies, been in large companies, and it's the fact that the companies that are able to grow and scale are the ones that have repeatable and scalable processes. So they've invested in their infrastructure, they're able to just get the machine turning, if you will, very efficiently and effectively. So that, that is what helps them grow. Because just doing the one-offs here and there, it's, it's inefficient and, and doesn't really serve the organization. So think about a position in your history. What, where, where did that come home to you? What was the best example of that? I'll use, uh, I, I did a little, I did a turnaround for uh, the division or subsidiary of Airbus Group. And the company, you know, had, had been around for quite some time and we were in the cybersecurity industry. And I came in and I was hired by the board to come in and, and, and turn it around. They were losing money, couldn't figure out why. And so came in, I looked at everything and uh, they put business development under me. At that time, I was a CFO, and, which isn't usually the case. They always put business development underneath the chief operating officer. They said, let's right. put it under the CFO. So they did that. And I implemented the, you know, proper go, no go and doing all the things that you should do in that. And the company won a $50 million contract after we did that. And it, really that's what taught me that lesson is if you're able to, to get that machine churning, then you can, you can unseat um, a lot of folks out there if you, if you know what you're doing. So that was a big turning point for me. So uh, think about coming into PRR a few years ago. I think you came in there also as CFO, right? I, I did, right? That's the thing. Is, there's a, there's um, a theme here, right? <laughs> there is a theme. Uh, you know, when I first started out in accounting and finance and, and I got my MBA, it was I always wanted to be uh, in charge and lead or whatever you call it. But uh, um, I think that's given me, honestly, um, uh, a leg up. And, and that's because if you understand every aspect of an organization, not just the sales and marketing, not just the finances, not just the operations, and I've sat in all of those different seats, then you really have an understanding of where, how to best position the company. So yes, I started at PR as the CFO, and in, in short order just said, hey, you know, just put some, some things in front of them, said these are the things that you could do to improve and grow, et cetera, et cetera. And by like eight months later, they offered me the position of, of CEO. So. And here we are, position, we're positioning ourselves for growth, most certainly. Excellent. So 
let's take everybody down a path a little bit. Tell us what PRR does, and then give us some, some insights on what you see as what you've been able to work on and change and leverage. So start first with what is PRR all about? What is PRR? We are an integrated communications agency. And what that means is we offer really a full service agency for doing different aspects of communicating. And we primarily communicate with the public on behalf of public agents. So we can do anything from, we have a very, very strong research department, which is really where it all starts. And then from research, we can feed that information into our public involvement process, our public engagement, uh, public relations, if that's the uh, medium that we're communicating. Then we can take it from there and we can do a whole um, marketing campaign, which will include social media. And then we also can build websites and do the design aspects of that particular type of communication. And again, it's all primarily with uh, public agencies. And uh, we focus on three primary sectors, which is transportation, healthcare, and environment. And really the future of the organization and where I see it going is, is the intersection of those three. Um, because that's where, from a public engagement standpoint, that folks really need to understand the intersection of those and how it impacts their lives. And that's what we're here to do is to help people understand what, what transpires in the public agencies and the decisions that they're making in the public sector, how that's going to impact their lives. So your clients want to hear the word of the public? They want to hear back? That is correct. That is correct. So some of our, our biggest clients, for instance, um, let's just take an example. Uh, here locally, we have one of our clients is uh, WashDOT. So that's in the transportation sector. So if they make a decision to toll a road or uh, take down the viaducts and put up, you know, a tunnel or, you know, and then we'll be communicating with the public uh, to help them understand how is that going to impact them? What, what, how do you become involved so that your, so that constituents are represented and that people understand how it's going to impact them and their communities? So how long does a typical client engagement go for you guys? So we can do very short-term engagements. We can, we've done things from, you know, short as, short as a month to two months. We also uh, will be on retainer for some organizations uh, so that they can call on us when they actually need to. And those tend to be sometimes uh, more of a crisis situation that will help them through. And others right. are very long-term. We can have, because uh, we're in the, um, you know, government sector, if you will, then the, the contracts are typically for an extended period of time. And because we're a communications firm, we also will be uh, subcontracted to, some, to uh, some of the larger engineering firms as their communication arm when they have to um, work with the public. And they're involved in some public works project or cleanup project or something. That's right. Correct. Uh, yes. So, for instance, we have um, uh, the tolling that goes on the, uh, the I-405. Uh, we were involved with BERSA. And when the tunnel was uh, under construction, or we were part of the communications team on that. We're doing a, a gateway project down south. So we, so if there's anything that's going to come in, uh, this is all particularly in the transportation sector. But we also do things right. in the environmental sector. If there's any, you know, water, sewer, things like that, um, we'll get, get involved in those as well. So I was going to ask you about crisis management because, you know, we see stories about that. So. 
what what percentage of the time is it a crisis driven and and what are some examples where you got where you've been able to help the agencies um so those are fewer and far between uh, we prefer to prepare our clients in advance of those and help them understand how how to avoid those situations by always right. being up front <laughs> yeah right yeah that those are the ones we really haven't been involved too much in those um, not not since I've been with the firm, so I really don't want to speak to something that I haven't been involved in. No, of course not. If you think in terms of a typical kind of project, uh, in terms of a story, you mentioned the 405 tolling. Did you get involved with the in the Highway 99 tunnel tolling? Is that something you've been helping with? Not with the tolling, but uh, we were involved in the construction portion uh, when Bartha was um, tunneling through and all of the situations that happened oh, there. Yeah. So we were, they were involved. And that was, again, was before my time, but I've, I've heard great stories about it. In fact, there was a, right, I think it was a, the first week I joined, uh, Bertha came out of the tunnel. So there was this, we had it displayed on, in, in the company and on the, on the big screen. And yeah. they were celebrating the fact that, that she came out and had finished. <laughs> but, uh, no, that, that, was... you know, that, that was a challenging communication for, for folks. Yes, you guys had a lot of work to do there over those years. Right. It was yeah. Very challenging. So tell me about your team, uh, because clearly you inherited a team and you've been putting your mark on your team. So I'm real curious about your your views and experience on leadership and management. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you've got it structured and uh, insights you've gained there as you've taken over the team. Sure. Um, this, I will tell you that is, has been one of the um, biggest challenges and one of the biggest rewards. The company has a very unique structure. We are considered a disadvantaged business enterprise because we are majority owned by women, which is a great thing uh, in, in, this, in this environment. It's fantastic. Right. The, so we own, so the, the women own a little more than 50% because that's the requirement. The remainder is an employee stock ownership plan. So we also have mm -hmm. employee owners. So the okay. combination of those two creates for quite a unique environment because we are all about, you know, trying to engender employee ownership, yet, uh, you know, the five women have to lead the organization. And, um, and that takes a lot of collaboration. And um, you insert someone into the process like me, who comes from a varied background, working with larger organizations and really bringing that unique perspective outside the organization into something that's been around for quite some time that, that grew up from uh, a, a single woman-owned company into you know, five women owning it and some of them having been there their entire careers at one organization. So. Mm. Um, it's getting to know them quite well. It's getting to know them on a personal basis as well as a professional basis. And I restructured the company in 2018 and just, I looked at their skill sets and said, okay, where, where can I best deploy them and what will they do really well at based on and, what I know? And so and, put them and these are the five, um, these are the five owners, right? Correct. Correct. One was already, uh, she already was in the, at the head of HR. One was a natural as far as the business development goes, but I, you know, just because we're a professional services organization, 
a part, a part of their time has to be spent, you know, doing business development. The remainder, they work on projects. And so it's right. like, okay, what's your skill set and where, what projects should you be working on and which, which sector should you be developing? And they've, they've done a great job and, and they all have this fantastic mindset of this is the company that you know, this is our legacy. This is what we want to leave to Seattle and to the, the next generation of leaders in the organization. And, and that we're all, went through strategic planning this past year uh, and we're getting, we're writing our business plan and putting that, uh, all of that forward and starting to execute against it. So that part's been quite exciting. Tell me more about how it's been for them to hire you to be their boss and they're the owners. (laughs) Right. And here's the (laughs) kicker. Here's here's what's funny. So not only are they my boss and I report to them as board and owners, they report to me in their functional roles. So what I, yeah, so what I did from, from the outset is I, I went out and I bought some hats for me. I have, I have a witch hat. I have, I have a right. captain's hat. I've got uh, some gr- a green shaded visor. And then I've got this other hat that has bling on it and has a dollar sign with some bling and so what I do when I talk to people I say okay what hat do I have on and so when they see me doing that um, then that, then that's how I help them understand are you engaging with me on your in your functional day-to-day role or are you engaging with me as a board member so it's really an educational process and um, we work at it every day and also educating the remainder of the staff that, you know, this is the role that we're in. We play multiple roles. And so it's really how are we engaging with others and, and what role are we playing at the time? So they have different hats also. Yes, they do. They have owner hats, they have board hats, and they have functional hats. So I work with them and we work together, you know, every day to make sure we all understand what hat we're wearing at what time. So share with us an insight there in terms of beyond the hats metaphor, which is fabulous. The uh, as you've exerted leadership there, what's worked and what hasn't worked with this with the owners, and then go down below them. So just you think broadly in terms of what's worked, because I'm looking for insights that other people can learn from. You're in a rich learning environment there, I have to say. Right. So. <laughs> right. I, I think. You have to have willing participants. So okay. the, the women stepped back and said, this is not in our wheelhouse. This is not my skill set. I, you know, I, I have a marketing background or I have a business development. I don't know what it is to run a company. And I think if people can look at that and, and let go of their egos, then it becomes um, a much smoother path. One of the, um, I wrote my, I wrote my thesis on entrepreneurial teams. And the one thing I, that I came out of that was with um, complementary skill sets. If you put your team together with complementary skill sets, then that's when you're going to do your best because not everyone knows everything. So I look to them to do their jobs and to bring me the information I need that I may not know and may not have. And I think that's what biggest takeaway in this environment. So that's what's worked really well. What is the challenge is when I have to say, nope, that's your functional role. You, you know, if a decision is to make a decision and they say, well, I didn't, how come I didn't know about that? I have to say, well, that's, you'll learn about that at the board meeting. <laughs> because 
that you don't really need to know that as part of your day-to-day role. So it's it's just gently gently nudging and saying, not not your wheelhouse today. And so that's the that's the biggest challenge. Yeah, and that's a that's all a very human interaction because there's a desire to know everything. There is. <laughs> I even have to right. swallow sometimes. I'll hear about stuff because that's the other thing too. As owners, they're used to that making those types of decisions, and and so I'll find out about something, and I'll say, hmm, did you run that by me? Or and then it's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, or. You know, and it's it's all we learn to really work well together in that regard. And it's also giving people grace. We use that word a lot uh, at our company is understanding that there needs to be grace because it's always a learning environment and we're learning together. And now we're learning out loud, which is quite interesting. <laughs> so pivot from leadership and leadership lessons. And those are two good ones on what's working and what's challenging. Get down to the management level. What have you found to work and not work in literally managing these functional leaders and then helping them manage their teams? The biggest piece is ensuring that you're providing regular feedback. We just had a, a, an all staff, and one of the things we invested in is bringing an outside consultant to do a class on giving and receiving feedback because everyone does it differently. Some are more effective than others, but it's very important on a real-time basis to give feedback because if you, if you wait until the end of the year during a performance review and people don't understand, you know, I thought I was doing a great job and now you're telling me I'm not or whatever. That That's really the key with, with your direct reports. The other thing I've learned to do is allow them to make their own decisions. Uh, okay. it, for instance, not having to come to me to say, can I make this higher or, what do you think about this? I say, you know, that's your decision. I'll, I'm happy to provide guidance or if you want insight or anything, but that's not my decision. That's yours because that's your wheelhouse. Do you control that through budget? I hate to use the word control. <laughs> well, <laughs> even, you know, the, the, even, yeah, I know, I know. Right, right. There's got to be some constraints somewhere. They can't just hire anybody they want. I mean, as many. Right. So what? It, that is correct. So what we do is, yes, you are right. So. I introduced a formal budget when I was here the first year I was here. They did not have a budget before that and had never gone through a formal budgeting process. So I took them right. through that um, the first year, went through another one last year, going through it again this year. And it's setting up the budget. And I, and I you know, I, I will, will say, here's the revenue goals, here's that, and here's what, here's what you can spend based on what we bring in. But that is a way to control it, if you will, is, you know, saying, you tell me how you're going to spend the money, but if you're not making, if you're not hitting your goals, then what, how do we have to adjust and what do we do? So I make them part of that decision-making process. This makes me think you're, you're building or rebuilding uh, or let's say enhancing the culture there. So tell me a little bit about what you've found in culture, what was working and not working and where you're going with driving culture in PRR. I can sum that up very easily because we have this conversation a lot. We are moving from a culture of accommodation to a culture of accountability. We have coined that phrase, if you will, because, you know, there's certain things that you might, that you really have to do as an organization and it's holding everyone accountable. It's modeling the behavior. It is, you know, I don't, I, and I tell everyone it's to the lowest level person in, 
an accounts payable or, you know, the front desk. If you see me doing something that I'm not walking the talk, then you tell me because I need to correct that. So we're, we're really striving to, to engender that in each and every employee. So what's working and what's not working in that effort? <laughs> well, <laughs> because somebody will say, well, you know, <laughs> um, it's a lot of times it becomes uh, excuses. And it's very okay. difficult when you've worked when you've worked with people for a long for a long time to hold them accountable and right. not come up with excuses and to make a very difficult decision, right? So we're a professional services organization, and as such, uh, we sell every hour. Every hour is billable. That's how we right. generate money. So I instituted. Um, we look at our billable utilization percentage just to see what people are doing. And so we have targets. If you're not making your target, we have to have that conversation. And when I first started, one of the, one of the things that was said one time, I asked, I said, well, why aren't you talking to this person about why they're not meeting their targets? And they said, well, we don't want to. And it wasn't any of the women, none of the owners. It was someone in the organization. So well, we don't want to hurt their feelings. And <laughs> I, you can imagine my reaction. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Well, how can, how can we do it in a way that doesn't hurt their feelings, but yet explains how important it is because that's how the organization makes money and that's how an individual contributes to the overall health of the organization as well. So we're, a lot of educational processes. Um, I've introduced these things called town halls um, hmm. to get more transparency for people around financials. So I can report out on financials and they have an opportunity to ask questions of what, you know, what are we doing? What's going on? Where's the direction of the organization? So we do those on a quarterly basis and we do something every other week, which uh, they call huddles. Those have been going on forever. Those are not something I introduced. Um, but yeah, so that we're just making sure that the information is getting out there to, to everyone and, and what's everyone doing and who's working on what, and showcasing our projects and, and the like. Got it. So how many people is, are involved? What's PR's, PRR's headcount now? We have 85 employees, some of those employees. So one of the things we pride ourselves on is that we're flexible. So we may have some people that work part-time. We have some people that work what we'll call four-fifths, uh, mostly full-time. We have people also that are bench employees. And so bench employees are just allows us some reach back. So if we have someone who has to pull off a project, then we're able to pull them in and do the work for us. So they'd be contractors that you'd pull into the project? They would be. They would be. Because the interesting thing on a lot of, if you work for public agencies is they want everyone to be an employee and they don't necessarily want them to be contractors. So these are, they're, they're employees. They're on our payroll. It's just they may not work. Uh, they're just hourly, so we're able to call upon them on an hourly basis, but they are considered employees. Perfect. Great. So you've got a flexible workforce that you can scale up and down. We do. Yes, we do. Cool. cool. But at 85 employees, you're right. You've got enough folks there that there's you know, plenty of room for confusion or lack of. So these huddles and, and town halls are sound very important. They are. And we also have we have a. a strong presence in mid-Atlantic region. So we have an East Coast staff as well. And then we'll have oh. people that are based in projects, offices. Mm -hmm. Yep. So 
people in DC or, or I'll call it the, you know, um, Washington metro area because uh, there's Virginia, DC and in that area. And then there's, we have a strong presence in Baltimore and in the Norfolk, Virginia area. And then here in Seattle as well. And we're, we just hired, this is a pretty, pretty big thing to announce. We just hired um, Jamie Smith, who is, who was Governor Inslee's uh, communications director. And oh, she cool. joined the firm last week. Yeah. So that was a, she used to work for PR many, many years ago and now has come back. And we we're excited to have her because we we're looking to build our, what we'll call our South Sound area. And she's going to help us with um, policy and things, really understanding the, the legislation that's coming out of our state and how that's going to impact our company and how that impacts Right. I mean, now you're, you're plugged right into Olympia now. Right. <laughs> Which is where we Perfect. need to be. You know, coming coming from a federal contracting environment, one of the first things I asked is said, I know it's a dirty word, but do you have any lobbyists? Do you have, you know, people that are sitting there understanding what's going on? And, uh, you know, this, this is going to help us understand. Not that we're lobbying because we, we don't do that, but it's really just, you know, what, what is the policy and how does it impact us and the public? So when a high-profile person from the public comes back to the so private sector like like that in this case, where where do you plug in? What function of the of PRR does that kind of person fit into naturally? Yes. So what we're going to do is augment our practices. So like we call it our research practice because there's a strong um, work there. So this will become mm -hmm. um, um, policy and um, public relations, um, not public relations, but uh, public policy practice, right? So that's people who understand uh, legislation and the ins and roads of, of uh, government. It's government relations, basically. Right, so you're really extending your research capability uh, by this kind of expert joining your staff. Correct. Interesting. And understanding things that are going on in the South Sound because, you know, that we've, we've got things that are going on in Seattle proper, you know, we've got all of the, you know, federal way link extensions going in. We're working on that. Um, you've got the I-90, so East Link um, that's going into Bellevue. And there's the gateway, which is south of here. So it's really this interconnection between Tacoma and Seattle. And so that's, um, this person will help what we call South Sound, which is south of Seattle. Right. So basically Pierce County, South, south King, yep. Pierce, you know, all the way down. You got it. You know better than you know better than I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I drive up and down I five. So I, I go there <laughs> on the way to Portland. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, we we can become a little bit insular here, kind of clustered right around Lake Union and and Puget Sound. So we need to we need to go north and south. Also, I I get that. Yeah. So think about growth. You guys are in a strategic planning. Mm -hmm. mode and with, without mm -hmm. divulging anything you know proprietary but in general themes what do you see for professional services what are your growth levers what drivers are you guys looking at for the next one to three years what what matters when you think about planning? Sure. so if you look at what's going on from an infrastructure standpoint which is where we really have strong communication skills and understanding how to engage with the public. There are, um, there's something going on called uh, P3s, but I know if uh, you've heard anything mentioned in the region about that, but they're public-private partnerships. 
And so those are particular types of, I'll call them um, contracting vehicles and a way to deliver projects that we have a lot of experience in. And we are able to help an agency, a public agency, um, navigate those waters. And so that's where I see the growth of the organization or on these types of projects. And again, like I was talking before about the intersection of, of health environment and um, transportation and sort of if I if I close my eyes, and I look at an example, it would be underserved population living in a rural area who needs to get into the city to see a doctor, which has a health component, a transportation component. And then the environment component is what type of transportation is going to take. Is going to drive and, you know, have a, you know, increased carbon footprint. Is going to be able to take transportation or not at all. So those are, so that's sort of what um, we're going to be seeing more of in the future is, is that, uh, that type of, of work. And uh, we want to lend our, our skills in communication and, and helping people solve that problem. So when, when these three P's, uh, P3s pop up, public-private partnerships, how do you address them? I mean, how do you engage there? So typically, um, you engage in the very, very early stages of the process to mm-hmm. because they're very long-term and they're, they're long-term planning before they're even let out to the public. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get in, involved in the in the design build phase of it when they're trying to make those types of decisions. Um, does would, that I mean, would they liter- would they literally hire you guys? Would they hire PRR to help them formulate yes. and and create messaging? Yes, yes, Got they do. It. We're okay. on a big so one. Early of, we're on, yeah, early engagement is critical. We are in um, Baltimore, Maryland, right now, working with. Um, with an agency out there in, in just that. So yeah, it's early engagement, which is critical. So they will help, you will help them um, frame their messages, make sure they're clear on that, and then help them advance as a partnership. At some point, they're gonna get funding, they're gonna do infrastructure projects. Correct. If, if, they're, because if they're, they're successful. If they're successful, because a lot of times um, they can be controversial projects, depending on how they intend to fund it. Uh, where the public funding is going to come from. It can come from a private agency and then told back, or it can be some type of bond initiative. There's different ways that they do it. So um, there can be, the public sentiment is important. So it, it, the early the earlier you engage to communicate with them, um, the better. So in our region is um, ST3 a P3? I couldn't speak to that. Um, yeah, you know, it seems but, like um, you've got, yeah. I think sound, I think sound transit set that up. So there's private funding together, or at least there's debt that's out there in the market. Right. It's, right. It's, it's publicly guaranteed, but that may be a case. I mean, yeah. certainly, yeah. certainly in increasing, like you said, link going north, south and mm-hmm. east is a big deal for this region. That's the, probably our single biggest project here. Right. And it, yeah, it is. But I honestly can't speak to how it's funded, but that's why we brought someone on to help understand and help me understand. Because, you know, I'm even though I've lived in this region for um, eight years now, I I'm still not as familiar with it as I should be. So, well, you've had uh, my knowledge on a daily basis. You've, you've had a lot of airplane miles during those eight years, right? <laughs> I have most definitely. Yeah. I hear you. So. 
Um, when you think about leverage in growth um, and you think about helping your staff grow the business, what, what's one, of the, one or two of the highest leverage activities that you've been able to see that you could maybe recommend to other business leaders? Sure. So because we're a project-based organization, uh, it's your client relationships. One of the things okay. we're really good at is once, once we get into an organization, we are able to uh, amend, consistently amend our contracts because of the relationships our project managers have with the client. So it's, it's keeping the, their, their, their ears to the ground, knowing what's coming. Um, how do you help your clients? Because you're really trying to solve their problems. And you have to look at it as your own problem. And there, you know, there, also the thing is consulting is you have to be available a lot. Your customer may call you or a client may call you at three in the morning, uh, experiencing a crisis, and you have to be available. So that's, that's something to look at as well. So you guys are pretty specialized in, in government or, you know, sort of public-private. There's always a government element to it. So if if somebody's out there in a business that they're thinking of heading towards government, either state, local, federal, uh, what's your advice to them on how to approach government business as different from commercial? I would recommend that they find a mentoring organization. So okay. um, there's a good mentorship program, particularly for a small business. You can find it through the SBA. Also, we do mentoring and we, we are looking for um, minority businesses uh, to help mentor because we're considered a minority business. And right. so, you know, yeah, I'm always looking for companies. I was just sitting at a, a function um, last week where Senator Murray was speaking and the lady sitting next to me was from Sound Transit who headed up, you know, she heads up their, uh, their mentoring program and we're a part of that. And she, commended us on how well we do in that regard. So I, again, just mentoring someone who's, who will take the time and help you understand and how to navigate those waters because they're, they are, they're deep and they're rough. <laughs> yeah. That's my impression is if you're good at, at commercial private business, you're not necessarily automatically going to be good at government business. That is correct. That is correct. Cause you know, your rate structure are different. There's a, there's a formal, proposal process you go through, uh, you know, a bid process, if you will. So there's a, yeah, so it's a lot more complicated. But on the flip side, um, we've done private business in the past, and that's also one of our initiatives uh, coming forward is we want to begin building our private business again. Right, because you have transferable skills there. I mean, everything you do is needed by everybody. That is correct. Yes. That's a growth opportunity. There you go. I love it. Think back over what we've talked about today and maybe other things that are on your mind. If you're talking to a, a fellow business builder and they're, you know, sort of looking at the next growth initiative or plateau, what's, what's the number one piece of advice that comes to your mind for, for growing an effective business? Planning and executing. I think a lot of, I think I'd lean more towards the execution side of it. That's the hardest part for most people um, right. because you can plan. And you can talk about things and you can lay, you know, but if you don't really execute against it, you're really going to go nowhere. So that's, that's like, the biggest piece for me. Yeah. On the other hand, if you execute without a plan, what happens? <laughs> well, you don't know where you're going to end up, right? Pretty much anything can happen, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> no, 
I think I, I think I'm I'm glad you chose both words, planning and executing what you plan. That's that's sound advice. Thank you. So, how can people learn more about PRR and maybe connect with you or connect with the company? Tell us how to do that. Sure, you connect with the company. It's our our website is www.prrbiz.com. Uh, um, I'm on LinkedIn. We we uh, you know we are. Go to our website, check us out. Got some positions open. Uh, we're always looking to hire really good communications folks. And good. yeah, those are the those are the best ways. And tell us again, just so folks get a sense of where where are your physical offices? I mean, you mentioned a second location. Can you just hit those real quick? Sure. So our um, primary office is in downtown Seattle. We are located on cool. 4th Street, right across from Westlake. And we are also located in, in Baltimore, Maryland. We have presence in um, DC. And those are our primary offices. And then I would imagine the right level professional could work virtually. You might have them in different parts of the country even. That we actually do that all the time. Yeah, we just had a, a woman that's rolling off a huge project in uh, Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> and it's coming back go. up here to help us for a bit, yeah. Well, great. Well, BJ, thanks for, for investing time with my audience today. Uh, great insights, uh, great tips, and folks connect with BJ and with PRR. It, it will help you. And BJ, thanks again. Appreciate your time and your wisdom. Doug, thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate you letting me on your show. The Go for Growth podcast is sponsored by Resources for CEOs. We help overworked business owners take back control of their time, build a team-driven company, and multiply profits. Get your free copy of How to Get What You Want from Your Business at resourcesforceos.com slash guide.